When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So much of fall camp revolves around preparing for the football season, preparing for your first opponent. You're in meetings that you're watching film, inputting plays. All of these different things are put in. You're on the practice field, you're in the training room, you're, you're in the weight room. You're doing a lot of things to get ready for the football season. But there is also a business and rules side that you have to be educated on as a college athlete. And these are meetings regarding compliance, counseling services that are available, procedures involving the equipment room, training room, weight room, nutrition. There's so much knowledge that they have now about what to eat, when to eat, how to handle social media and reporters. There are so many kids that come in here and have never had a microphone or a TV camera in front of their face and how to handle those situations. There's also drug testing and educating the players on substances of abuse, what they can do, how, they, how they're a detriment to playing football, what they do to your body. Also uh, meetings on performance enhancing drugs. So there's all of those business and rules meetings that have to take place. And when you're doing that, you're still preparing for the football season because if you don't do those things right, you're not on the field. I'm John Jansen, and this is In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. When the guys around you are playing at a high level, it allows you to play at a high level. Did you win the game you played? I did win, yeah. We won like 66. We ran for 600 yards, (laughs) never threw the ball once. My touchdown is right here, and this Uh dude right here. I got it, you know, that Madden stiff arm, and I stiffed arm. One, two, you know what to do. Once again, here's John Jansen. There's one meeting that I always looked forward to every year. And that is when the coaches would bring in, for us it was Willis Patterson, um, who was uh, a professor emeritus and also a former associate dean of the School of Music, grew up in Ann Arbor, and he would come and teach us how to sing the victors. And you would think, well, everybody should know how to sing the victors. And and for the most part, we do. But if you don't sing it right, and, and this is what Bo used to say, if you don't sing it right, it sucks. You got to learn how to sing it because you learn to sing it and you and you sing it after victories. You learn about part of this rich tradition that we have at Michigan. It's a team building event. And at Michigan, we don't have a mascot. We don't need a mascot. We've got the greatest fight song in the history of college football, and that's the victors. 
and they would put the freshmen in front of the rest of the team. They would ask one of the freshmen, hey, start to sing the victors. And they would sing it. It was usually a weak rendition of it. But then they would go through how to sing it and where to emphasize and the rhythm that we were supposed to have. And then we would sing it as a class. Then we would sing it as a team. And it was always one of those moments where you look back and you think, you know, originally when they come in and they tell you you're going to sing the victors and they're going to teach you how to do it, you're thinking to yourself, why why are we going through this? But when you are done after the process, um, like I said, it's a great team building event. And it is, it is one of the most important things we do because after the end of every victory, we get a chance to sing the victors, whether it's with our fans in the, in the crowd or it's in our locker room. you got to sing it right. What, John, are, are you waiting for the, the music bump? What, what are you talking about? Y- you can't go through that whole discussion and not sing the victors for us. <laughs> All right, here we go. Locker room style. One, two. You know what to do. Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan, the leaders and best. Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan, the champions of the West. Go blue! <laughs> I love that song. God, it's awesome. Well, after a rousing rendition of the victors, I was able to catch up with Devin Bush and Noah Furbush uh, after practice this past week. And here's a few thoughts on how camp started. Felt good, you know. It's a lot of energy out there. Guys was excited, coaches was excited, managers, everybody. So just a step forward, back out there again. You know, start the 28 season right, and you know everybody excited. You know, I feel like our arrow's going up right now. So we just getting to work every day. You guys really getting after it out there. And uh, one of the things that Kalik Hudson, one of our leaders, said was, uh, "I want to pick up right where we left off from spring ball," and I think we did a good job of doing that. After the first week of camp, it's been physical. Uh, I've seen the O-line play. I've seen them in individual meetings. I'm wor- working on their steps. Um, same with the defense. Um, the, a lot of young guys stepping up. Uh, and it's really been the guys that we talked about or that coaches talked about that had a great offseason. It, it's funny how that transitioned into having a great start to camp. And when I see uh, some of these young guys uh, up front on the D-line, Quiddy Pay, Irving Bay, uh, Michael Dwumfor, he had a great offseason and and looks like he's going to uh, really produce this year as well. And, you know, it, it's no surprise that what you do in the offseason has a great payoff. And that's what we've seen. And speaking of guys that put in the work in the offseason, Lamar Woodley is next. I got a special guest today. Lamar Woodley joins me on In the Trenches. Lamar, thanks for coming in. Oh, man, thanks for having me. You know, I definitely had to come support you, Michigan legend. You know, you also came to the to my school open house this year, man. So you called me. I had to come. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, and we'll get into your school uh, here in just a little bit. But um, August rolls around. All right. Guys are reporting to camp. You still get the itch? No, You know what? Actually, I don't. You know, when, when August rolls around and I see all the guys uh, – on NFL Network going to camp, I'm looking like, man, I'm, I'm at home chilling. Like, you know, this is this is life right here because I have a chance really to stay up late, watch TV, 
you know, be around my kids and uh, just to get a chance to enjoy them going to do their tennis lessons and golf lessons every day. Is there, on the day that, that most of the guys report, I, I, my first couple of years out, I remember I wanted to make sure that, that I had that day set aside. I was going to go fishing. I was going to do something with my kids instead of going to camp. Is there something you do at the start of camp? You say, hey, I, I get to do this because I had that in my past. You know what? I actually don't. I just really just enjoy the summer how it is. Yeah. Knowing that, you know, usually, you know, all these years from, from high school to college to the professional level, you know, you're always like, man, training camp's coming around. So you start winding down a little bit. So now you don't have to wind down. So you just continue to go with the flow knowing that you don't have anything locked in towards the end of July now. If you can remember back, now for both of us, it's getting a little bit further away. What was training camp like when you were here at Michigan? <laughs> Man, you know what? My my first day here at Michigan, actually, man, I remember uh, coming to a Lloyd Carr uh, meeting, and um, he the he probably had the uh, the temperature set around like sixty degrees. It was freezing <laughs> in there, and that meeting lasted about four hours. And yeah. I thought, man, this dude is crazy, because we all the freshmen introduced themselves, all the coaches. Then we had offense, defense, special teams. I'm thinking if this is college football, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it because in high school we didn't do anything like this. Uh, but the meetings was uh, – it was definitely a mental thing, you know, coming into training camp. I think it's, it's more mental than physical. Yeah, and I remember, you know, you, you said, hey, I don't know if I'm going to make it here. I remember looking at the guys thinking, you know, you come in as an 18-year-old kid and, and you haven't trained here, you haven't worked out here, and they look – they're just physically different than anything I've ever seen before. And I, th I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I better, I better be a good student because I don't know if I'm ever going to play here. You know, the thing is, you see a lot of these guys on TV, you mm -hmm. know, growing up in Saginaw and, you know, watching Michigan play. Uh, you see a lot of those guys on TV. So now you're actually in the meeting room with them. You're like, oh, man, this guy's not that big, but you can see like he's pretty strong. And some, yeah. of, some of the guys are pretty big. But I think as a freshman, when you're coming in, uh, what you're really thinking about is uh, the upperclassmen making this freshman sing uh, during lunchtime. So as a freshman, you try to hurry up and get to the hotel and get your food and get in and out, you know, but sometimes the upperclassmen end up catching you have to sing. And what I found out was uh, when you sing, you know, and you enjoy singing, you don't mind singing, they don't want to call on you no more. It's the, it was the freshman I was running. Uh, so I just I just embraced it. And whenever they ask me to get up there and sing, I just sing. What'd you sing? You know, I, I can't even I can't even remember. I think it was, you know, I think it was a temptation song. You know, it was a temptation song. And after a while, you kind of, you, you sing a song that everybody knows and they'll join in with you and then they'll clap for you and make you get off the stage. <laughs> in a couple of weeks, they're going to vote on captains. Um, I, I had a great opportunity to be a captain in 97, 98. You were a captain in 2006. Mm -hmm. What did that honor mean to you to get voted on by your teammates to lead us through this whole football season? I, mean, I think it was a, a great honor. You know, the because that goes to show um, over your your first three years of playing college football that your teammates respected you, not only on the field, but also off the field as well. You know, it's something that you got to hold with a, with a high standard. You know, so it was up to us as team captains to go out there and lead our team on the field and off the field. And anytime any players had any issues, you know, it was up to us to go in there and speak to the coaches about it. And for me, when, when my players, uh, when my teammates voted me, you know, I wanted to change a couple of things here at Michigan. I felt <laughs> like our bus ride going to the stadium was too boring. We was too quiet on the bus. I felt like the locker room, we were too quiet. Uh, so we actually started a chant on the bus. The defense did. Uh, we had a chant on the bus. We came in the locker room. We started a chant before the first game, and we didn't know how Coach Carr was going to respond. How did he respond? But he was okay with it. He was bobbing <laughs> his head. And then when we came out, and um, 
we, uh, we hit the M go blue sign. Yeah. And we came out and then we used to do the Ray Lewis, uh, Elijah Bradley's do it. Any dogs in the house, roo, 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 you know, <laughs> what time is it? And that was our chant. And that whole year, um, that's what we did. So as a captain, I, I said that was one of the things that I'm going to change because I don't like a quiet locker room. I have to bring some of the, the Saginaw High stuff uh, here to Michigan. <laughs> and, you know, that's the beautiful thing about Coach Carr is that, you know, he coached for so long and, yeah. and really, you know, spanned a couple of different generations. And if you had done that, you know, 15, 10 or 15 years uh, before, do you, I mean, it, he adapted – and, and, you know, just talk a little bit about playing for Coach Carr and what he meant to you as a football player and as a man. Man, Coach Carr meant, uh, means a lot to me, man. Um, to this day, you know, I have a chance to communicate with Coach Carr. Great guy. He's come up and he's supported a lot of my events. Uh, but coming here to the University of Michigan, uh, sometimes you don't understand some of the things that he was telling us to do as far as growing up being a professional. You know, I, I didn't understand about wearing suits to games. I didn't understand about when we did an interview, he wanted us to wear a collar shirt or he wanted our, a clean shaved face or your face, you know, your mustache and beard neatly lined up, no earrings in the building. You know, he was trying to teach us how to be professional athletes, you know, because it was bigger than just football. Because even after the game of football, you have to go out here and you have to be professional. And that's one of the biggest things that I, I took from Coach Carr about being professional because he, he, he it was so many life lessons about uh, nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> you know, he, he was always giving you always giving you sayings. And if you if you listen to a lot of stuff he, he said, um, it, it was actually a learning experience. Because when I got to the professional level, you've seen a lot of guys coming from different programs about, you know, how they looked and how they they carry themselves. It it wasn't a professional way. And that's where I said, oh, Coach Carr was doing something. He was doing something bigger. You know, he was doing something bigger and he was teaching us how to be, you know, real men. And uh, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me with Coach Carr uh, when I was in high school um, and he he gave me a scholarship offer where they had been offered me, but he was pushing me really to come to Michigan. Um, He said, Lamar, if you got hurt today, um, the University of Michigan will still honor your scholarship. And for me, uh, I thought that that was big because that spoke more than uh, just football. You mentioned how he prepared you to be a professional. In practice here, you got a, a chance to go against guys like Jake Long. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, how did that prepare you, not just for Saturdays, but for Sundays? Man, I'll tell you what, uh, Jake Long, his, uh, you know, Jake Long redshirt his freshman year. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Jake Long came back that next year, it was a whole different dude. <laughs> I mean, it was like going up against a grown man. I was like a red shirt. You know, when you red shirt, you definitely – take advantage of the weight room because Jake was bigger, stronger, faster. He was smarter. And every day I had a chance to go up against Jake Long. And we we used to do this thing in the pass rush drill. And, uh, you know, as a defensive lineman, we rush. And if we beat him, you know, we we hit the red bag. And that's the – that's the quarterback, so we called it Red Bag Day. And uh, Jake Long called it Green Grass Day. That's what the offensive lineman said, because they was going to put us in the grass. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so you know what? We we made ourselves better each and every day. And I think going up against Jake Long really just prepared me for anybody that I went against on Saturday because they didn't match up to, uh, to Jake Long. And I remember doing a NFL uh, combine. Uh, the coaches would ask me who was the best offensive lineman that I went against. And I said, Jake Long. I said, yeah. Jake Long was the best. And uh, and luckily, you know, Jake Long proved that he was one of the best when he got drafted next year, first <laughs> overall pick. Uh, so I wasn't So he has uh, Lamar Woodley to thank for that, Yeah, right? he, he does. You know, we still talk about that. We, You know, Jake would never give me any credit. I won't give him any credit. 
but we made each other better. We made each other better. Yeah, and you guys, you defensive guys are all the same. You, you, you <laughs> love all those drills that the defense has the advantage in. You might as well line up offsides, know the snap count, red red bag drill. I mean, come on. Hey, you, but you know the good one thing. On, let's go one-on-one -on -one run. Huh? Oh, yeah, but, but you know what? Going up against Jake, it was always a 50-50 thing. It can, yeah. go, it can go either way. You know, some, some days I won. Uh, some days he won. He, you know, he always talked about he pancaked me, but I don't remember that. Uh, I don't quite remember that. But the, the cool thing about Jake is, uh, you know, we, we always talk about if we would have played against each other in high school, who would have did what. And, uh, and Jake Long, when we used to stay in the dorm room, he used to come by uh, every week, once a week, and saying, uh, I believe I can fly. No, no, The World's Greatest by R. Kelly. Yeah. That was one of Jake Long's favorite songs. He would come by and <laughs> sing that every week, and then he'd leave the room. <laughs> I tell you what, next time when I get him on the show, I'm gonna make him sing that song. Make him sing that song. The world's greatest by R. Kelly. We got a couple defensive ends, um, Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary, who they've got a trajectory much like you did, where they're going to be NFL draft picks. If you had one piece of advice for these guys going into their senior year, well, it's it, Chase is going into his senior year, Rashawn's going into his junior year. What would you tell these guys, whether it's something to focus on or concentrate on um, as they enter this season? Focus on the team. I think when, uh, when the guys around you are playing at a high level, it allows you to play at a high level, and it allows you to go out there and make plays. Um, you know, going back to real quick, and then I'll go back to that. Go back yeah. to that. Uh, going back to my senior year, I know I was only as good as the guys around me. You know, so I, even though I was a captain of the team, I appointed captains in different positions. I had the defensive line. Uh, Dave Harrison had the linebackers. Leon Hall had the cornerbacks. You know, and if all of us play good collectively and everybody do what they're supposed to do and everybody do their job, we're all going to shine. And then we're all going to benefit from that because you're, when you're winning, everybody's getting some credit then. So for those two guys, I would say not only focus on yourself because sometimes, you know, you hear all the first-round projections and all these different projections, so you start focusing on yourself. But when you get your other teammates involved with what's going on and you getting them to play hard and at a high level, the other teams will know who to focus on, and now everybody gets off. We start the season off with Notre Dame. And when I think about Notre Dame and, and renewing the series, you think about – you know, uh, some different plays that happened. Obviously, Desmond's touchdown catch, Roy Roundtree with the catch in the end zone for the first night, Dame. Uh, in my time, it was Remy Hamilton's kick. But I'll never forget watching the, the, the game on TV and seeing Lamar Woodley <laughs> pick up a fumble and run into the end zone. What was, first of all, what was that like? What, what, what were you thinking when you're running into the end zone? And then what does the, the series mean to you, that Notre Dame game? You know, I'm, I'm in that game, that was pretty much my only highlight. Um, I got some good pressure on the quarterback, but as a team, we got off. Um, as a defense, I yeah. think that was one of our biggest challenges that year, going into early in the season because Notre Dame was projected to be uh, uh, in the national championship. They was highly ranked. Um, they had beat us like the last three years, um, and we hadn't beaten Notre Dame there in years. And I remember when we went to that stadium, remember when I tell you about that bus was rocking? Yeah. The defensive bus was rocking. And everybody's on <laughs> offense like, what the hell are y'all doing over there? Because y'all bus was rocking. And when we went in there, I think our defense made a huge stand. I mean, we got after the quarterback. Uh, Prescott Burgess got a few interceptions. I think uh, Leon Hall got his interceptions. And uh, on that play right there, Tim Jameson went in there and caused a sack force fumble. 
And uh, I seen an opportunity to grab the ball. So I grabbed the ball and, you know, I'm running and the tight end is getting close. I'm like, man, the end zone is right here. My touchdown is right here. And this uh-huh. dude right here, I got, a, you know, I, that Madden stiff arm and I stiffed arm him. And I got in the end zone and I remember I just looked, I looked at their band, did like the side shuffle. Yeah. And we celebrated, man. It was like the, it was like the icing on the cake right there. So you've had some great moments, obviously, here at Michigan. Yeah. You were drafted in the second round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. You played in a couple of Super Bowls. You won one. What was it like to be uh, at the top of your profession in, in you know, a Super Bowl champ? You know what? Um, first of all, it was I've always been a Pittsburgh fan growing up. Yeah. So having an opportunity to play for Pittsburgh was like a dream come true. You know, my favorite team. So like on Sundays – I'm playing with my favorite team. I don't have to be playing with another team and then looking at my favorite team. Like, yeah. I'm with my favorite team. Uh, so having an opportunity to go to Pittsburgh and play on that team uh, was a wonderful experience, a great opportunity, not only the team, but the whole organization in the city, the fans, and everybody was really great. And I'm not saying that. I just say that. Like, it was really great. And um, one thing about when you go play for Pittsburgh and you play on that defense, you understand, like, that is a tradition defense. That's a legacy that that you can leave there in Pittsburgh, and I was the new, I was kind of like the new guy, uh, my my second year starting on that team, and then uh, I had a hell of a year. You know, I came in and I had eleven and a half sacks. Yeah. Then I got like six in the playoffs, so I ended the season <laughs> with seventeen and a half sacks. Like they couldn't stop me and James Harrison. It was like yeah. pick your poison, where they had they'll keep an extra tight end in the game. They have a full back and a tight end in the, in the backfield just to block us, man, and and, and playing on a. Um, historical uh, franchise, you, Mr. Rooney, you know, Coach Dick LeBeau, yeah. you know, um, all the players there um, and playing in that Super Bowl. Uh, I just remember uh, in practice in Tampa, uh, Coach LeBeau, we was dropping interception. We weren't working hard. And he said, one of these plays is going to help us win this game. <laughs> you know, it's going to help us win this game. And, you know, uh, when Arizona was uh, – you know, right there by the end zone, and me and James Harrison supposed to rush on that play. Yeah, I get it. James Harrison said, "Hell, I'm gonna drop back," and he dropped back, and I look back and I see James Harrison with the ball. Now I'm winded, <laughs> you know. So I see Kurt Warner right here. I'm like, they go Kurt, but I'm like, he's kind of old and slow, so I might not need to block him. <laughs> so I ran past him, and I think I blocked Hightower. I pushed him, and when I look back, James is still running my way. I got one push left in me. That's it. <laughs> The final push I made, <laughs> I pushed him down. James jumped over me and got in the end zone. And, um, you know, then, you know, we still had to go out there and play. And I remember uh, the final sack of the game, uh, Coach Tomlin said, Woodley, we need to play. We need to play. Yeah. You know, because this is – you never know when this opportunity is going to come around. Um, so I remember rushing and just keep kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Uh, got the sack force fumble, and uh, we won the game. And the only regret that I have from that game is – Brett Keys will ask me, Lamar, do you want the ball? And I was so excited, I said no. He took the ball home because he recovered the fumble. And I'm still trying to get that ball back. And maybe one day, because if I ever go over his house, I'm still that ball. I'm getting that ball back. Well, you you mentioned the sack fumble at the end of the game. Last year, Brandon Graham, Michigan man against Michigan man Tom Brady, sacked to end the game. When you see something like that in a game where you had something so similar, do you instantly flash back to, I, I, you know, to that moment? You, you know what? You know, at that time, man, I had never cheered for a Super Bowl so hard. Yeah. Because I wanted to see 
Brandon Graham get a get a champion, get a get a get a ring. Yeah, he got it. Like I was really like Tom had got his another mission guy, and Dave was up, and Dave, you know, was uh, with New England as well. But Brandon Graham started off with that team, and I wanted to see him get one. And I remember a couple guys was at my house, and they were saying, "Man, T- Tom Brady got the ball. You, you know he's gonna move." I said, "But you never know what this defense is gonna do." When I seen Brandon Graham cause that sack force fumble. I yelled and cheered like I was playing with the Eagles. <laughs> I was talking. I think I we was, all did. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was celebrating because that was a huge play. And it was like, it was similar to what I did. You know yeah. what I'm saying? To see another Michigan man do that and give his uh, team a chance to win the Super Bowl, man, I think that's so great, man. And Brandon Graham, he, he deserved that because he's a good dude. Now, I want to talk about your life after football. Um, you, you've obviously been involved in, in Saginaw, your hometown, yeah. uh, right up the road from Ann Arbor over a number of years, but this year you got something special going on. Uh, the, the Woodley Leadership Academy. Oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the school and, and how did this idea come to, to happen? You know, um, you know, a lot of people don't know. I've been, I've been helping and raising money for the city of Saginaw and the public schools ever since I was a sophomore here at Michigan. Uh, where we used to take players down from, um, from Michigan and players come down from Michigan State and we have a golf outing mm-hmm. and we would raise money for the after school programs. Um, and that's something that I always enjoy and love and giving back uh, to people that's in need um, because we know at the end of the day everybody needs help. Um, so as I continue to go on and playing in the lead, I just kept doing more and more and more. And I'm like, what else can I do? You know, uh, I was able to purchase my old recreation center, purchase my old recreation center from the city of Saginaw, and um, I turned that into an education center as well. Um, so um, there was a guy named Bruce Hansen who worked for a company called Excel. And um, he tried to open up a charter school in Saginaw a few times, and um, he got rejected. And um, and I knew that I wanted to get uh, get more involved with education. So um, somebody uh, put us in contact with each other, and we sat down. And I didn't know Bruce. He didn't know me. Uh, we sat down, and we had a conversation. And um, I heard some of the things that he was trying to do as uh, far as getting involved with the school. And um, and those are a lot of the things that I was trying to do as well. And uh, from there, we just went on, and we kind of built everything. Um, and everything pretty much around like what I wanted to do and what I thought in the school. And uh, we, we put everything together and I've uh, been working on it for like uh, about two or three years. And it, uh, it worked out. We got authorized by Eastern Michigan uh, back in April. Uh-huh. Uh, we got authorized K through eighth grade, but we're going to start K through fifth grade because we just don't want the classrooms overcrowded. We want to make sure that we give uh, focus to the students. You know, that's the most important thing is giving focus to the students and, uh, just right, really making sure that uh, we, we want all the kids to make sure that they're our leaders. And how many kids now before – we're about, what, two, three weeks before school starts? Yeah. How many kids do you guys have enrolled? Um, between 160 and 180 um, already. Pretty good turnout. Uh, a great turnout. Well, we have a couple more events coming up here in, um, in Saginaw. Um, April the – no, August the 18th uh, at the zoo. Uh, we're renting out the zoo. Then we have our open house on the 25th. See, there's a lot of stuff going on, trying to remember all these days. Uh, But, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, people talked about uh, they want to know the difference sometimes between charter schools and public schools. And sometimes when they see uh, athletes like myself open up charter schools, they look at it and say that um, we're trying to make a profit. Uh, But charter schools are for profit. Right. Just like public schools are for profit. Yeah, You got to run the school. Yeah, you got to run the school. But I'm not making a profit off this. I'm not making any money off this at all. Uh, but the charter schools, uh, it's free tuition. Uh, we pull from the same money uh, that public schools pull their money from, from the state. And uh, the thing is, we have somebody over us. Mm-hmm. And with charter schools, you have a five-year deal. 
you have a five year deal, and if you don't perform, Eastern Michigan will shut you down. Who authorized <laughs> us? So we can be shut down if we don't perform well. So you know, with the Leadership Academy, we want to make sure that we put our kids and give them every opportunity to perform at the highest level. Uh, we're providing sports this year uh, with our sports program. If any kids involved with any sports at the Woodley Leadership Academy, uh, it'd be mandatory that you go to tutoring. Mm-hmm. So there's tutoring before sports because it's all about being a student athlete. Um, so we just want our kids to win at the end of the day. And um, it's, not a, it's not a thing of competition. You know, people ask, is, is this competition? I said, how can it be competition when we're all trying to do the same thing? We're all trying to educate our kids. We're all trying to give them a chance to go to college and be successful and come back to our city and, and, and uh, not only around the city, but around the country to help build our country. And if, if somebody wanted more information on your school, where are they going to go to get that? Uh, Woodleyacademy.org. Okay. Woodleyacademy.org. Uh, you can get all the information. Sometimes I post on social media. I'm not the, not the best posting all the time, <laughs> uh, but I, I put information up on, on social media here and there. We also have a, a social media page as well. Okay, and are you going to be involved? How much are you involved during the school year, day to day, or you know, I tell people I wear different hats. Yeah, you know, I wear different hats, so I'll definitely be involved with involved with the school because I want to be successful. I want the kids to that come there to, um, to be successful. Um, so I'll I'll be there here and there. I'm not going to say I'm be there every day because I'll be yeah. lying, but I'll be there a lot. You know, like when I was uh, before the charter school, I was in, I'm always in Saginaw. You know, I love to be home. I love to. I used to go up to Saginaw High and stop in and talk to the students all the time. You know, that's what I love to do. So um, that's what I'm going to continue to do. Wow. We, we appreciate all you do as a Michigan man. We appreciate you here. I know you've got two kids. Yeah. And this will be the last question I ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead. When you bring them into Schembechler Hall, what kind of stories do you tell them? You know what? I don't even really tell them any stories, which is crazy. You let everybody else tell them the stories? You know, I just I just let them. They're like, Daddy, is this where you you know is this where you went to school at and played football? Like, yeah, like my my son think the the football dudes is the coolest dudes ever. <laughs> you know, he he think it's the coolest dude ever. He out there running on the field. Mm-hmm. I just kind of let them enjoy the moment. Even at home, I don't really talk about football that much. Like yeah. they don't really see pictures of me or video of me playing football. You know, I just let them. Enjoy. I let other people, like you said, tell my story eventually, and eventually other people will tell them my story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you stopping in and telling us your story today. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Lamar Woodley for stopping by. Now we're going to go back and check our questions, and I'm going to bring in Brian Bush again this week. Brian, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great, JJ. Uh, we had a lot of positive reviews, a lot of questions about uh, some of the items you had for Coach Ben Herbert, the strength and conditioning director, uh, from Frank via email. Uh, at the end of the season, Coach Harbaugh didn't talk about blocking or your, your typical quote-unquote football stuff. He came out and said the team needed to get stronger. So he asks how, as fans, we can make better assessments of strength and conditioning for a football team. First of all, when they walk on the field, they're going to look stronger. They're going to look more cut up. Uh, and then when you see our the line of scrimmage, when it moves, when, when the offense is out there and that line of scrimmage moves forward, you'll be able to tell, okay, yeah, this, this strength and conditioning program is paying off. On defense, when that, when, when that offensive line cannot stop the penetration of our defense, yeah, this is paying off. When you see... Uh, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, one of the knocks on him last year was he couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. When you see him shed a defender 
and get open, the strength and conditioning is paying off. Speaking of strength and conditioning paying off, uh, Miles and Ann Arbor via text Will Coach Herbert wear short sleeves during cold weather games? You know those strength and conditioning coaches, they want to be intense. They want to add some fear to the other sideline. Will Coach Herbert go with short sleeves, no sleeves in those games late in November? You know, I'm not sure what he's going to do, but I can guarantee you no matter what he's wearing, he's going to look like a badass. And that's what (laughs) strength and conditioning coaches are supposed to look like. Tough to argue that. Uh, Joe on Twitter, uh, do you see an increase in production from Zach Gentry with his weight and speed speed gains in the offseason and with the fact that Tyrone Wheatley Jr. has transferred? Throwing Sean McCune in that question as well. What can fans expect from Gentry and McCune? Well, I think with with Zach Gentry, there's no question. When you add 15 pounds, 20 pounds from one year to the next year, you not are, are only looking at a guy that's much harder to tackle when they have the football, and he was already a tough guy to bring down, but a tight end is a unique position because you've got to be able to be, one, a pass catcher and receiver, but you also have to be an offensive lineman at times. And those guys, whether they're sealing the edge, 20 pounds makes a huge difference. And Sean McCune is, is in that same group. When you have to get to the edge, and we've got running backs in, in Chris Evans and in Karan Higdon that can get out there and, and make things happen, you've got to seal that edge. And that's where those, those strength gains and weight gains make a big difference for the tight ends. Speaking of Higdon and Evans, Patrick on Twitter asks who you expect to see as that third running back behind those two and also the primary slot receiver coming up. You've got to defer to what Coach Harbaugh has already talked about, and that's a guy in True Wilson who was a walk-on who every day this offseason put in everything he could possibly do um, to move up the depth chart, and I've seen nothing in training camp that would, that would argue that. He's a guy that they can count on. He's reliable. He's physical. And when you're looking at a third, a third guy at running back, yeah, okay, if your first two guys for some reason go down, you've got to rely on that guy to be able to hand the ball off to. He's going to hold on to it, not put the ball on the ground. But also there is a huge emphasis in pass protection. And True Wilson, in my opinion, is probably the, the best out of the running backs the best pass blocker that we have. Um, He's willing to stick his nose in there, um, and I'm excited to see what we can do in the pass game with improved pass protection up front with the offensive line, but also improved pass protection from our running backs. And True Wilson fits that, that mold perfectly. Transition into the next question. I love this question. Text from Kentucky. Didn't have a name on it. Uh, But as an offensive lineman, John, how is the mindset different when you have a stationary quarterback like a Wilton Spate compared to a more mobile quarterback like Shea Patterson who can make more plays outside the pocket? Well, it all starts with obviously being physical up front and stunning a guy at the line of scrimmage. And when you do that, now all of a sudden you stop his feet, then you can, t- you can look at his eyes. And his eyes are going to tell you where that quarterback is going because he's trying to get to the quarterback. You're obviously trying to protect that quarterback. And you s- then have to read his eyes. If his eyes go outside, you know, all right, my quarterback is probably rolling that way. The other thing it allows you to do is, is more play action passes because if you're rolling that quarterback out and you're resetting the 
launch point of the quarterback, if he's going to be behind the tackle or even outside the tight end, now all of a sudden that becomes more of a run-blocking situation. Um, You can't go downfield, but you can be much more aggressive at the line of scrimmage. And any time when you're trying to develop confidence for your offensive line and you're trying to improve your pass protection, if you can allow those guys to be physical – and come off the ball, it it's it's it just makes it that much easier when you do have a, a, a third and five, third and six situation, and the defense isn't sure whether they're going to run and try and pick up this first down or they're going to throw the ball. If you can have any hesitation in that defensive line or slow them down at all, it, it's, it makes the offensive line's job easier. So if you have a quarterback who cannot just – throw the ball from the pocket, but get outside, it makes it a little bit easier to protect. Um, and you can also shift those protections and maybe even leave a guy unblocked where the, the quarterback is rolling away from. Reminds me of, of something that you brought up uh, in a tailgate show this past season. Let, let's play that clip. You had your tradition. You ran out the tunnel like you always do in front of an empty stadium. There's some no, pe- no. It was full. It was full. in my mind's eye. It, there was one hundred eleven thousand people, and I was the only one running out. What? Just after six a.m. in the stadium was yeah, full, huh? Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope it was a good moment. Did it you win the game? You played. I did in win. Yeah, I mean, we won like sixty six. We ran for six hundred yards. Yeah. Never threw the ball once. John, I know you remember that game. That, that might have been the best game of your career, huh? <laughs> I remember every play of every game, and whether it was actually played on the field or played in my mind, I remember it. <laughs> well, that one was played in the mind of you, and maybe only you, but it, it brings me to a serious point. Uh, back in your playing day, when an offensive line, quote-unquote, grinded out a win, uh, it came from giving the ball to the running back and just pushing forward, gaining 10 yards every three plays and bleeding the clock. Now, in the modern game, do offensive linemen take similar pride in when they have a mobile quarterback to allow him to extend the play and have more opportunities four, five, six seconds after a snap? There's no question. When you can hold your block for that long or you're required to hold your block for that long, uh, there's a certain satisfaction that comes with being able to give that quarterback that extra couple of seconds. Uh, and the other thing that happens when you've got a mobile quarterback and he extends the play and he's starting to run out, even if you lose your guy, you turn and you try and pick off the next guy and that's where some magnificent hits come because you you got guys that are pursuing to the quarterback. They're not thinking about it, a free offensive lineman, and all of a sudden you get to ear hole a guy, that's a sweet, sweet feeling. I bet. I bet. All right. Ann Arbor via text. Uh, on that Amazon Prime series, it appeared that Pep Hamilton called the pass plays, Tim Drevno called the run plays, and then Coach Harbaugh decided if they were going to run or pass before the play actually happened. Uh, obviously, transitions this year with the coaching staff. Any word on what the plan will be this year? And, and the texter also asks, is last year's system common in the collegiate or the NFL ranks? Well, it's more common now than it than it used to be because when you look at staffs and you see uh, you know co-offensive coordinators and you've got one that's a coordinator for the pass game and one that's a coordinator for the the run game um, that's that you know a lot of times a head coach will say give me a run or he'll say give me a pass and then that that guy gives whatever is on their call sheet whatever their feeling is is working at the time he gives them that play and obviously the head coach or the the head offensive coordinator gets to make you know the determination of that's the play I want to call or I'm going to tweak it a little bit with emotion here or, or, or whatnot. And that's where 
calling plays is an art, and that art form has changed over the course of the history of football, and it has has gotten to a point where there has to be great chemistry between the offensive staff and it, it you you've you've on our staff we've got guys that have called plays at, at a lot of different places we've got Ed Warner um, we've got Pep Hamilton um, you know we've got we've got a lot of different uh, Jim McElwain and it adds another dimension to your offense but those guys have to be able to be in in sync with each other and I and I really think having seen these coaches at practice we've got a great chemistry between the offensive staff few more questions from some of our fans. Frank via email, which position group, John, is the biggest question mark for you at this stage of camp? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. Um, you know, at this stage of camp, it's it's really hard to tell um, because everybody is fresh. Everybody is healthy. Um, you know, and I and y- there's a question about who the quarterback is going to be, not necessarily how good that quarterback is going to be. Whoever comes out of that room uh, is going to be a good player, and they're going to be ready to play against Notre Dame. I think the biggest question mark for me is is still on the offensive line. Who are our tackles going to be? Who's going to be that right guard? How are they going to work together? And and as I see them work and as I see them interchange parts, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely encouraged, but I think going into the season, that's going to still be the question that needs to be answered. A lot of people have made a lot about the schedule this year, and obviously it's difficult. But Curbs on Twitter wonders, are there any games on this year's schedule that you think could be a trap game, a la Iowa-Ohio State last year? Well, Iowa's always a trap game. We don't have them on the schedule this year, but you know, two years ago we went to Iowa and and stumbled. Um, Iowa City's a tough place to play, and and Ohio State found that out last year. I think when you look at our schedule, um, you know, I I think that Northwestern game um, is 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 a game where we've got to be on our toes. Um, we will have played Notre Dame. Uh, we'll have played a couple of, of games that we should win in Western and SMU, Nebraska. That'll be a great matchup, but again, should be a win. We should go into that Northwestern game feeling pretty good about ourselves. Now it's a matter of where is this senior leadership and what type of attitude do they have going into it? Do they have the attitude that this is Northwestern, we should go in there and, and just walk over them? If they have that attitude... I think it, it that could be the trap game because going to Evanston, playing against a, a very good Pat Fitzgerald team, um, and, and the defense that he always puts on the field, that's that's where we have to be alert and we have to be ready. We have to go into every game assuming that we're going to get that team's best shot, and we have to be able to match that. Find yourself someone who loves you like John Jansen loves Michigan football, and if you can't. Find somebody who loves you the way that John Jansen loves Pat Fitzgerald. <laughs> I tell you, I've got a lot of respect for him. He is, he is a class act. He's a guy that does things right, and and I've got a lot of respect because he could go to a lot of different universities. He could go and move up to a bigger program, but he is a wildcat at heart. And, and I love the fact that he has, has stayed there. He's been true to himself, true to his school. And he, he, he puts out a good team, a solid team, a sound team every year. Pat Fitzgerald loves Northwestern. John, you love Michigan. Uh, Jose on Twitter asks, as a former player, what do you enjoy most when watching Michigan games now? 
Oh, I, the, the thing I love the most about watching games, when I'm on the sideline and I see, like I talked about in one of the earlier questions, when I see that offensive line move the line of scrimmage one, two, three yards down the field, that is a special feeling. When I look at our defense, and it's all about the matchups up front, if you can win that line of scrimmage, you're going to you're going to have a great chance to win the ball game. When I see that defensive line penetrate or push an offensive lineman back right into the quarterback's lap, that excites me. And those things are parts of the game, but what excites me the most is when that's when the game is over and Michigan has won the day and we sing the victors. That is that's a special feeling whether it's SMU whether it's Western Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, that's a special feeling no matter who the opponent is. Well, John, another good round of questions from our fans. As always, for the next episode, tweet us at johnjansen 77 email michiganwolverinesradio at gmail.com, or text 734-328-1760. John, good stuff. Less than a month away. I can't wait. Oh, man, I can't get here fast enough. I appreciate the time, Brian. You got it. Thanks to the fans. Great questions. Keep them coming. I love answering the questions. Thanks to Lamar Woodley. Stay tuned for next week. We've got Don Brown on the schedule. We'll talk to you next week. This has been In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. In the Trenches with John Jansen is an exclusive presentation of IMG, America's home for college sports. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.